final draft episode of the call-up, at least for the 2023 version of this thing. I'm Aram Leighton, he's Jack McMullen, and we're going to kind of just break down everything that stood out to us in the second round and some teams that got creative. Of course, we already recapped the first round. If you missed that episode, go check that out. We went through every single pick. I think this is an opportunity to one highlight the teams that we talked about that underslotted in the first round. What did they do with those savings? And then other teams that just got creative with their allocation of bonus pool money. Jack, you and I always talk about how we are kind of contract nerds. That's usually with with the big league deals, but I think with with the draft structure, loving prospects and loving you know the money in baseball for better and for worse, unfortunately, because there's some things about the signing bonus system that I absolutely resent. But right. from just a pure you know just money transactional standpoint, budgeting with X amount, kind of like DraftKings almost, or or like something like that, you know, where you're setting your lineup, it's interesting. And there were some teams that have really used their pool uh, to to get creative. And, and acquire as much talent as possible. I was going to say, this is like so rare with real money. Yeah, this is you're like you're allocating. Um, the, the bonus pool is something that was really hard for me to wrap my head around until I like fully commit to doing this on a full time basis. You know what I mean? Like in high school, I understood like, wow, that's a crazy amount of money for the seventh overall pick. But the 21st overall pick, like why is his you know paycheck going to be so much smaller or like why is the 15th overall picks paycheck smaller than the 28th overall yeah. pick paycheck? It, like it, it's, it was a hard thing for me to comprehend until I understood what the bonus pool was. And I, I'm sure so many of you listening have a pretty solid idea of what the bonus pool is, but bonus pool for dummies is each team is given a certain pool of X amount of millions of dollars or X amount of hundreds based, of thousands. Based of on their selection point. Yes. So the Pirates had the largest pool because they had the number one overall pick. So in those 10 rounds, the Pirates have X amount of dollars to allocate to those 10 picks. So that's when you get creative. If you can underslot your guy like Skeens didn't need 9.7, he got 9.2 and he was still the highest paid player ever out of the draft. So like if you can save 500 there, plug 500 to the guy in the sixth round that you promised you would sign for overslot. And go do that. So it's all just kind of like a big jigsaw puzzle with 10 guys that you took or 11 guys within the first 10 rounds. A hundred percent. And you know what the interesting thing is? We saw Skeen's got nine too. I wonder what Cruz is going to get. I, I think there's a Probably legit full chance. Slot. He, he he might get more than nine two. honestly. There, there's a you world. Think so? I, I think there's a world where he gets more than nine two. So it'll be I, interesting. I don't think so. I really don't think so. I think that guy signs for full slot and we go on our merry way. We'll see. We'll see. I, I, I'm interested. He hasn't signed yet. So there, there's there's some back and forth going there. I'm very, very interested to see how it shakes out. But uh, real quick, some of the signing bonus numbers that we got already in the first round. And I'm only going to highlight the ones that you know are going to relate to the conversation that we're going to have on yeah. these other selections. Uh, but Wyatt Langford signing for $8 million, that was 300 k overslot for, for the Rangers. I don't think they cared because... Yeah, you abandon your draft strategy if you can get a top 20 prospect in baseball for a team that's already loaded in the farm system and really talented. Uh, so that was no big deal. Uh, but Blake Mitchell, it was over a million in savings for the Royals. So we'll talk about how they use those savings. Jacob Wilson at, at the sixth spot with the A's, 
That was over a million in savings, 1.13 million to be exact. They used that money uh, really interestingly. I think it was to upgrade at multiple selections, to go over slot at multiple selections. And yet again, one last thing I'll say on it, excuse me, is that it's basically like trading back in the first round to trade up in the second round and third round, uh, which is, is, is really beneficial if you're a team that's looking to jumpstart a rebuild like the A's that are just trying to acquire as much talent as possible. We'll get to the A specifically in a minute. A few other like surprises real quick in the first round. I was, I was surprised that Tommy Troy was, was so far under slot 4.4 million uh, for the diamondbacks slot values five. So that was a nice pick given how much they were able to save. And we'll talk a little bit about what they did. And then the, how about the Blue Jays? I, we're doing draft grades right now at JustBaseball.com. So keep your eyes out for that. Probably won't be out by the time you're listening to this episode, but it'll be out by the end of the week. And we're going to kind of have a quick breakdown and our staff grades. We're conferring on all of this on you know, each team's you know approach and how, how they executed the draft. But I know you really liked what the Blue Jays did. They not only got Namala at 20, which, you know, we we liked Namala upside wise as potentially a top 15 pick in this draft. I think yeah. we mocked him at like 11 or 12. They saved three quarters of a million dollars on Namala. So you, you get a player that we thought should maybe shouldn't even be there. And not only do they do they get him at the 20th selection, they save a lot of money to allocate elsewhere. Uh, so we can start with the Jays if you want, because I thought that was a really, really intriguing start to what ended up being a really good draft. Yes, uh, 100%. So what the Jays did, you mentioned that $750,000 they save on Namala. And, you know, like, I, I think some fan bases may be upset when they underslot their first round pick because they want best player available. There's a lot of money that goes to these first round picks. So slight savings, quote unquote, is way more money in the first round than it is in the seventh round. Like Namala signs for under slot. He signed for three compared to 3.75. Okay, like they also under slot by $2,000 in the sixth round and they under slot by $2,000 in the seventh round. But what they were able to do is slightly under slot elsewhere and use the chunk of that savings. And we'll see more under slot picks officially sign with Toronto or guys may not sign, but they went and got Landon Marutis from Calvary Christian, which is a South Florida high school arm in the fourth round slot was 547. He signs for 1.5. So he triples his slot money. This is totally a Brock Porter situation. I saw this and I saw Kumar rocker, Brock Porter, right? Where you, you get a guy that can be a big leaguer and Namala can be a really good big leaguer. We like him in a vacuum regardless, like you were saying, but the fact that you can save on a guy that you thought was really good that slid and go triple the money for your fourth round pick and go get a late first, early second round talent in the fourth, that's where you start winning drafts. And I yep. think that the Blue Jays won a draft here. Yeah. And, and Calvary Christian, same high school as, as Andy Painter. And a lot of other really, really good talents professionally and uh, exciting arm. So really impressive to be able to, to get him in the fourth, like you said. And I thought that was a, a nice snag there because you're getting upside in multiple spots here uh, and, and kind of spreading your risk. These are high risk players, a, a, a righty out of high school, high risk uh, shortstop that supposedly can hit for more power than than his frame would imply. And, uh, you know, is, is one of the youngest guys in the class. That's probably pretty high risk too, but you're spreading that risk out. And I think that's exactly what you need to do when you have a mediocre farm system like the Blue Jays. 
And we haven't even talked about their second pick, Jaron Watts Brown, who like is high risk. He's a college arm, yes, but he is like five and a half walks per nine, 14 Ks per nine. So mm-hmm. like that's already a risky profile. I think what they did is they ID guys that have serious boom or bust potential and they figured out a way to make the money work for all of these boom or bust guys. A hundred percent. And again, I, I love spreading the risk. If, if you have a bad farm system, I said mediocre. I think it's closer to bad yeah. in, in Toronto. You need to throw as many irons in the fire as you can. And I think they did it really well. Who are legit big leaguers in that Blue Jays system right now? Tiedemann, uh, Barger's a big leaguer. Is yeah. he an all-star? Maybe not. Uh, Arelvis is a big leaguer, but is he going to hit enough to be a regular? We'll find out. Uh, Barrera is hurt. And Tiedemann's hurt as well and just kind of getting back. Barrera is already throwing again. Like there's a lot of guys in there that are just even the best prospects are like have their own questions. And then yeah. you have the role guys like David Schneider and stuff like that. But that's not people that are going to be, you know, ranked extremely high and that you're counting on to, you know, be regulars for your franchise. Right. So I, I like that approach there. Uh, wh- what team do you want to hit on next? Because there's a lot of picks in the second round I was looking at, but I think we can naturally hit on those when we talk about certain teams. Do you want to go to the Reds? Yeah. Because I loved they might be one of my favorite drafts uh, yeah. if you look at the way that they approached it. We mocked Rhett Louder to the Reds. It, that just fit like a glove from, from the word go. And and I love that they went with him. There were some rumors about elbow issues. And, and honestly, I checked in with a few different people on that. And they pretty much just said, I heard the rumors too. Couldn't confirm or deny it. Just kind of said like, it's out there. It's not just some guy making up some crap, but it also could be some smart guy that made up enough crap that just it got legs. So basically wasn't fully shot down, but also wasn't validated. That could have been enough to, to dock the the bonus a little bit. If there were some minor, minor concerns there and he signed for five, seven, you know, slot value of six two eight with the reds at the number seven pick. Um, I, I was a little surprised that they saved that much. So maybe there's something there or, or louder realized if I don't go with the reds here, I could slip because maybe the Rockies preferred Dolander. And then all of a sudden, you could slip pretty quickly. So I think it was more likely that than anything else. But regardless, they get louder, they save big, and then I love what they did with the savings. So you go with your your next pick as the Cincinnati Reds, and you go get Ty Floyd, who put on a master class uh, in, in that College World Series ball game where it, it was – was that one of the best pitching performances you've seen on a college stage? Yes, I mean uh- – Honestly, like in recent memory, it was Kumar's no hitter in the super against Duke. Yeah, that was um, that was brutal. That was that was watching my friends play, just getting yeah. carved. It was, just, that was rough. like, damn, this guy's gonna mutilate them. Yeah, and, oh, three of my buddies on that team just getting picked apart. Yeah, and like you, you got to tip your cap to Kumar Rocker in that one. So so Kumar in the supers for Vandy against Duke. But aside from that, honestly, three most impressive college pitching performances I've seen uh, in, in recent memory is two of them happened in the same game, Skeens and Louder, uh, <laughs> and then and then Ty Floyd in Omaha as well. So I, I think those are the ones that jump out. And Floyd's got the juice, man. He's not just a good college pitcher. No, I agree. And I think he's pretty much got the floor of a high leverage reliever. The fastball is is crazy. I'm excited to get kind of the IVB numbers on that. Don't have yeah. you know, don't have access to that through the, the college data, but the college data in terms of just the, the whiff rates was elite. You saw it on the big stage with those with those strikeouts. And um, I think he's a guy that could run the fastball 60 percent of the time. 
kind of like a Bryce Miller and have success. The slider's above average. And the Reds have been doing a good job with these types of arms. And, you know, I think there's these cut from a similar cloth to Connor Phillips and they sign him. They also save a little bit with him. They save another about six or hundred sixty thousand dollars there. Right. Yes. Yeah, so what they did is, is they saved about six hundred K with louder. They saved a little over one hundred K with Floyd. So that turns into seven hundred K. How much did they overslot Sammy Stafora by? Uh, for Stafora, it was a good chunk. Half a mil. Yeah. They still have 200K to play with. Yeah. And and Stafora, I thought, was a great pick. That guy had as much helium as anybody. I was surprised that he slipped to that point. But if you if you think about it, they gave him right between the slot value of the 33rd selection and the 34th selection. So there were probably a lot of teams at 35, 36, 37 that were calling saying, hey, will you sign for 2-3, 2-4? He said, no. You know, my number's two five. And ultimately the the Reds called and said, Hey, if you hang on till 43, we'll give you that two five. And that's exactly what happened. So they get the safest arm in the draft, not named Paul Skeens. They get a really high upside arm that in in a very pitching thin draft, especially outside of the top 15 picks. Yeah. And then they get a shortstop who had as much helium as as any prospect really going into the draft, plus plus speed. Good chance to stick it short, just really good tools all around, and the bat continued to come along. You got to be really pumped with those three picks if you're a Cincinnati Reds fan. Yes, you absolutely have to be. And I think, like, you can cut it off after the first three picks and say, great draft. Everything down below that is bonus. And I'm sure yeah. that there are going to be some guys that, you know, that pop that go to double, <laughs> triple, hey, maybe even break in. But what they did, the way they maneuvered their first three picks, their three picks in the top 50 was freaking excellent. I thought totally hundred percent with you on that. Uh, about the white Sox. I thought, uh, so yeah, I was going to say white Sox or Oakland. Do you want to talk Oakland or the white Sox? Uh, let's go Oakland first. Let's go Oakland since they picked six. Um, Jacob Wilson was the pick at six. It's just the most, we talked about it. It's the most Oakland pick possible. You're, You're getting pretty much, uh, almost a guaranteed big leaguer is as close to a guarantee as you can get, but how good of a big leaguer we'll, we'll find out. The thing is, is you get that. And then they swung for the fences with those other picks. So I think they felt like they got multiple first round talents. Cause no matter how you feel about Jacob Wilson, nobody with, you know, n- nobody reasonable is saying he's not a first round pick. It's just whether he's a top 10 pick. Uh, so if you feel like he was a back end of the first round pick, that's fine. Okay. They gave him, you know, kind of middle first round money and then ended up being able to go get some guys that they gave close to first round money. So they, they spread themselves across. I, I thought it was an interesting approach. Yeah, I think so too. Um, like the names that jump out, obviously slot for Wilson, he was about 900 K under slot or no, sorry. 1.1 under slot. So you save 1.1 there. Miles Naylor at full slot at 39th overall. Miles Naylor has the bloodlines. Like, I'm not concerned about that. I, I just immediately saw the last name Naylor and I said, yeah. good pick. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Right. Like that, he, the Naylor family is pretty much, if they have another one, I'm just, I'm going to say big leaguer and just, just sure. Yeah. yeah it works. I don't need to see anything. It's a Naylor. He'll be fine. Yeah. No, and like, I like Bo more than Josh already. And the fact that they both rave about Miles, I'm like, okay, they're just going to keep getting better. It's like a ball <laughs> scenario, although LiAngelo was kind of the run to the litter here. Um, but they, they also sign about 400K on Ryan Lasco, who's a Rutgers outfielder. 
But you mentioned like they gave first round type money two guys later on and 72nd overall in the third round, Steven Echevarria, who's a high school right-hander out of New Jersey. They gave him $3 million and slot was 1.01. They also nearly doubled the slot of Cole Miller. Who's another high school right-hander out of California. So you have the opportunity to like take those guys away from the commitments in the third and fourth round. That's how they did it. Another name that I found really interesting, Jonah Cox, the outfielder at Oral Roberts. Yeah. Oral Roberts went to Omaha. Jonah Cox was far and away their best player. For him to fall to the sixth and still still sign half a million under slot, like really impressive job. I like those guys going in the fifth round, sixth round, seventh round. Jonah Cox is probably not a second or third round talent. He was just a really good college player. There are some really good college players that turn into big leaguers. Yep. And I think that's what they ID'd with Jonah Cox. And they went and got two really talented high school arms. Uh, one one clarification, 50K, not not half a mil. Um, for who? For Jonah Cox, 50K savings. 50K, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. So his signing bonus is, uh, it was only 300. But the, the point stands is... I was shocked. I would I think when I saw I was I was wondering specifically when Jonah Cox would go because that's like just your classic mid-major college basketball player who just tears up the tournament, but he's a senior and like people are like, eh, we'll see. Uh, yeah. And he gets like picked in the second round or, or undrafted free agent. And right. sometimes those guys pan out, sometimes they don't. But baseball is a little different. I, I like those guys more in baseball than I do in basketball. And Cox can hit and he's a good athlete. So they snag him in the sixth. But the the, the big pick was Echevarria. And I think trading back or trading back, uh, saving on Wilson allowed them to go full slot on Miles Naylor and get Echevarria. That's that's the way I look at it. So you might be like, oh, they only overslotted one guy or two guys, really, with Cole Miller and Echevarria. But Echevarria wouldn't be attainable. They gave him first round money, three million dollars. That's two million overslot to to like to sign him out of the third round. Remember, the the, the A's drafted. Uh, I'm trying to think, Mason Miller in the third round and did pretty well there. They like trying to ID those arms that if they had more time they would have probably pitched their way into the first round or, or played their way into the first round. And yeah. Echevarria had you know, performed on the big stage. It's pitchability, four pitches he already has a feel for, pounds the strike zone, fastballs mid-90s. And I think that was that's a guy, cold-weather guy, that just didn't get the opportunity to fully solidify himself as a first-rounder. They saw enough. They probably feel like they got three first-round picks here. Because Wilson, obviously first-round pick. Miles Naylor? Comp pick if if they felt like he's you know a little bit better than the rest of the, you know the rest of the league looked at him that's a borderline first round talent and then Echevarria they gave first round money to so to me I I think they felt like they traded back and got three borderline first round picks here yes no a hundred percent man so you know you're quick to clown Oakland and like as soon as the Jacob Wilson pick happened we were like quick to clown him because we were like okay, what's the ceiling for Jacob Wilson? Is it 300, 300, 300? Um, But they they use that money really effectively. Another team that just needs to spread as much upside and and just... They are in the the market for human being accumulation when it comes to the farm system. And and big league accumulation. And like we mentioned, they do the same thing with their trades right now. They, They could have swung for the fences on some of those prospect returns. Instead... They kind of went with the higher floor guys that you can build a, a roster with and then, you know, prepare for the move to Vegas and then probably spend some money on some guys then, which is just yeah. classic with with these MLB teams that get the new stadium and move somewhere else. Right. 
White Sox, they take Jacob Gonzalez at the 15th pick. What's interesting is you know, we kind of vocalized, and I was talking about why I thought Jacob Gonzalez was going to slide. And I think he was really going to slide because you see what, what he got, 3-9, 4-4-9 slot value. So, I mean, the White Sox saved a lot of money there. They saved $600,000 while also taking a guy that a lot of people thought would go in the top 10 picks. Uh, and I saw Keith Law float Jacob Gonzalez as an underslot option for the Minnesota Twins. And I'm sure he was considered there. So you get a guy that you're able to underslot at 15 for a fair amount of money. And then you cook later, which we'll get to. How'd you come away think, feeling about the White Sox draft? I feel good about it with what they did after the first round, to be honest. And, you know, like I'm I'm still curious how this money is going to work out because it's not necessarily adding up quite yet. You mentioned you save about 600K on Jacob Gonzalez. You signed George Wolko in the seventh round, who's a really talented high school outfielder from Downers Grove North in, in Chicagoland. That is a Chicago suburb. You signed him for a mill. Slot was 250. So you got to find what 150 more like i i don't know where that's coming because grant taylor at full slot seth keener 30,000 under slot calvin harris 25,000 over slot. like everything has been chalk and eddie park who's not loaded into the tracker yet signed for exactly 200k his slot was 199.9 so i think he made about 100 bucks here um so like I don't know where the rest of the money's coming from, but I, I like the picks that they had. Grant Taylor, a guy that topped at 99 this past year at LSU. Keener, a guy that had a massive year for the best program in the country. I like high major guys, high major college arms that they went after because much like Oakland, they are in the business of accumulating people with beating hearts to play minor league baseball. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and the White Sox, I, I think, found couple of guys that are going to do that. And they found guys that are going to be top 30 prospects in a bad system. I think in the seventh round in Wolko, in the eighth round in Eddie Park, and in the 11th round in Riku Nishida from Oregon, who I know Pete Flaherty of Baseball America loves. Yeah. So I, I, I find it interesting how they did it. I just have questions about how the money is going to work. Yeah, I'm looking at a couple of the later picks, like Weston Eberly, a, a senior catcher from... Uh, from from Columbia, Columbia. Did yeah. they already sign him? Yeah, 150k. See, that's a guy I would have figured would have got like 2k. <laughs> like, yeah, honestly, that they would have like just totally dollars. screwed. They would have totally screwed. But one of these guys is going to get screwed on like a couple a couple grand. Like they they drafted a senior out of Wofford uh, in Ryan Galaney, and yeah. then and then a couple other a couple other seniors. Zach Franklin did you, also. Did you see, they grabbed this French kid in the twelfth round. Yeah, I saw that. That's that's electric. They got Duco Japan. Japan, France, and Puerto Rico in this draft class. Pretty fun. Um, another guy that's interesting is Christian Apor, who is Gulf Coast Community College, Juco guy, up to 98 in the fifth round. He was, I think, a Wisconsin guy, um, like best player in Wisconsin, opted to go the Juco route when his money didn't get met last year. And now his money is met at 550, which was about 150K over slot. I love it. I, love it. I thought the White Sox did a pretty good job there. Uh, a team that had probably the most fun opportunity in this draft, it's got to be the Seattle Mariners. 
Yes. And man, like I, I almost wish I could, I could have been in that draft room. And that, that's just like, what a dream it is to have three first round picks. Even if the first one is 22nd overall, they pick 22, 29, 30, and then 57 and then 92 and then 124. It's just a great spot to be. And when, when you have those picks, you can get very creative. You could severely underslot one spot and then really overslot two others. You can go kind of, uh, overslot the first and then underslot one of the second or the third, or you just go with three guys that you really like. And I think that's ultimately what the Mariners did. I think they went with three guys that they really like. What was interesting is they went high school, high school, high school. And you look at a lot of their prospects, a lot of their top prospects in the system. It's a lot of lower level young guys, but they've done a good job of identifying those guys. Cole Young was a great pick looking like one of the better picks of last year's draft and has been playing out of his mind uh, and already just got promoted to high a looks really good. They go Colt Emerson at 22 a high school shortstop. They go Johnny Farmello at 29 high school outfielder. And then they go with another high school shortstop at 30 in Taipei. The only signing bonus we have so far is Johnny Farmello, which was for, about 400 grand over slot, 3.2 million slot value was 2.8. Farmello, I've heard nothing but great things about in terms of the upside here. A lot of people really like him and thought he was, you know, one of the higher upside high school guys that, you know, had really seen some helium going into the draft as well. Emerson was one of those that I think is cut from a similar cloth to Cole Young, just really solid, high floor for a high school guy. Good field to hit, just good tools across the board. So they get their their the exact kind of player they like to look for. And then Ty Pete, I'm interested to see what this what the bonus looks like because Pete, this guy can can really play. And I know that's that's another guy that a lot of people were were starting to say had some first round helium uh, as the draft got closer and closer. Ultimately, he he's taken by by the Mariners here. These are three guys you talk about that like instantly slot into your your top 30. These are three guys that probably instantly slot into their top 15. Yeah, no, I mean, the one that I've like read the most about, and I think it's probably because he signed already is Farmello. And it seems like Mariners people are incredibly high on Johnny Farmello. So I like it's exciting. I was almost hoping that instead of going like three high schoolers, you go high school, college, high school. Yeah. When you have that many picks condensed like that, it's just a risk reward system. Like, hey, let's go grab, you know, high risk high schooler that's tooled out. Let's go grab safe college arm or college bat. And then let's grab another, you know, high, high risk, high reward high schooler. But they opted for three of the same you feel good about their development process. And, you know, you see the guys that are, are working out for them at the upper levels of the minor leagues. And, you know, you think about what else they've done in, in recent memory. They've had a really good track record of pitching. And think about the pitching that has made its way up. Logan Gilbert, college arm. George Kirby, college arm. Uh, even a guy in the upper levels right now, Emerson Hancock, college arm. Bryce Miller, college arm. So you have so many of these guys and I think if they're ready to swing for the fences, it happens in the high school bat department. And that's what they wanted to do. Yeah, 100%. And I think, you know, any high school prospect is is somewhat risky. But again, Emerson kind of higher for Farmelo. I really like the bat there. And then Pete is type Pete's high risk, high reward there. I mean, he was up to 95 on the bump, uh, plus runner, has the potential to, to tap into plus power, but you know, not much of an approach. Uh, very pull happy. There's some things he needs to to figure out at the plate, but I love that. I mean, if you if you so, got three, three high school guys, 
swing for the fences on one of them. I think, I think they swung for the fences with all of them because they're all high school guys. But yeah, I think Pete could end up being one of those where it's like, wow, the third guy was the best guy. Like that, that's very possible. Quick question though. Do you feel like guys need an approach in high school baseball? Not at all. And that's the thing. So like, that could be something that just he grows into by just being challenged to have one. Like it's just that simple. Right. Next up, we would go Royals, right? You want to go Royals? Yeah, let's go Royals. Real quick question, though. I My eyes drifted to St. Louis. And, like, honestly, just a question. Quinn Matthews, fourth-round pick at them, it, like, senior at Stanford. Why did he sign for overslot? Like, why does, a, why does a college senior sign for overslot? That's just an overarching draft question. Yeah, so I, I think it's one of those rare instances where it's a college senior who a lot of teams were interested in, in that range. And okay. you know what I'm saying? Like it, most of the seniors, you can say, uh, take, take 10 K or take even a little bit under slot and deal with it. But if Quinn Matthews has a lot of teams that are willing to take him in that, you know, 115th pick to the 122nd pick range, he can kind of stay solid on that, on that over slot price. So I think yeah. he just wanted to go to the Cardinals probably had his pick of the litter in that round and said, this is my, my number, you know, maybe a few teams met it and he told the Cardinals he'd sign it or that, that, the, that was his number. And the Cardinals were the only team willing to go full 600 for a, a senior pitcher with about 5 million miles on that arm after, after what happened this year. But I, I love him as a fourth rounder. Got you. Yeah, no, I was just curious, like how that worked, because typically when you see a high school senior taking the first 10 rounds, like that's when you save at least a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. To me, that says that he was closer to a third round talent than he was a fifth round talent. And that's why no savings, unfortunately. But I think the Cardinals were just happy to get him. Got you. Royals. Yes. They I look, we didn't love the Blake Mitchell pick. Uh, just because I, I don't, you know, if I'm going to underslot a player type, I don't want to underslot the worst profile that you can draft, which has nothing to do with Blake Mitchell. It's just high school catchers. Just just take a look at the history of high school catchers and you will get nauseous looking at that. Just the track record of high school catchers. And there's it's because it's just so hard to evaluate. How do you evaluate a high school catcher and how he's going to translate into professional baseball? You're not looking at the bat as much because the glove is more important. The glove is not challenged as much in high school. Um, There's a lot of things now in the showcase circuit that I think will help improve that. And I think we've seen the track record marginally improve with high school catchers. But unless you're like a Harry Ford, that's just a freak of of all freaks. You got to really believe in the bat or the defensive tools. And I think they do with Mitchell because he's got a 70 arm. The, the swing is honestly very sweet. Uh, and I think that was part of it. You know, you got a nice swing from the left side. You got an arm that is mid nineties to, to 96 on the mound that, you know, is going to translate behind the dish. Receiving is becoming de-emphasized, but you had the number eight pick there. I thought there was a lot of things you could do. So it, it was one of those where I was like, you better cook with these savings if you're going to go about it this way. And I, I thought they did some good things with the savings. Yeah, no, I think so, too. And I I was just doing like a quick little dive of who are the active like starting catchers on Major League Baseball teams that are high school guys. And I sorted by ESPN, like fantasy value, Adley, Oregon State, Will Smith, Louisville, Sean Murphy was Wright State. Is that right? Yep. Wright State. Yeah. But then JT Real Muto was a high school guy. He was a shortstop and a quarterback. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Jonah Heim was a high school guy, like really athletic guy. It, it's really tough to find those guys. I'm looking at a Cal Raleigh who was, you know, Florida State. I'm looking at a Henry Davis who was Louisville. It, it just keeps going with that. Um, no, I, it it was interesting, like the way they finagled it. Um, I'm curious to see the number that comes in for Hero Wyatt in the third round. I think that's probably the one that slot values at 960. I bet that's around one and a half. Um, after that, they went with a lot of college guys. But the fact that three of their first four picks were high schoolers, I don't know. It, I, I was almost thinking, okay, that's going to get expensive. But, you know, if you can sign Blake Mitchell for 1.1 under, then, then it doesn't have to get very expensive. And another Illinois guy. How about Illinois showing out all of a sudden with this baseball talent? Hey, listen, sneaky hotbed. And I'm not just saying it because I was a fucking star in it. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but like the, they I, go I grew up with guys like that, dude. Like Quinn Priester, an Illinois guy. Gavin Lux was was a Kenosha, Wisconsin guy. He was pretty much an Illinois guy. Like they, they always pump out a couple of big names and, yep. and it is a high quality of baseball. So you may see Illinois high schooler and feel a little bit less good about it compared to a Texas high schooler. You shouldn't like that's a high quality of ball. And I'd argue now you add Walters in here, a six, four righty who you give that million oversaw roughly to he's got a monster arm. He's up to 98. He was an all area basketball player as well. And I mean, those types of plays like Matt Manning asked to me where you're, you're getting a big power arm, you know, Manning has kind of slipped a little bit, but he's still a big league starter to actually flash some decent outings of late. But you have a crazy athlete on the mound who's up to 98, has not just focused on baseball, really. And you're able to to kind of swing big here for a guy. That, I mean, if it all works for him, he, he could be a frontline type type starter with that kind of build and that kind of velocity at 18 years old and athleticism. So I, I love it because, again, this is another team that you need upside. And you could argue that Walters has as much upside as any pitcher in that system. Now I love Kuderna. I love Mazzucato, but those guys ceilings are, are middle rotation. When you have a, a Walters, if it all clicks for that guy, he, he could be special. So I, I like that approach. And then they also go over slot in the 11th round and get a guy that was probably a third or fourth round talent in Jared Dickey giving him 500 K, which I think was about three, 400,000 over, over slot there. Yeah, no, Jared Dickey. I think that would have been end of the fourth, beginning of the fifth slot money. Um, so, I mean, that's pretty spot on there. Um, I was going to ask you, like, do you think Blake Walters has a higher ceiling than, than a Mazzucato does? Because Mazzucato was considered like probably a better prospect in the draft. Yeah. Similar to Kuderna. Also, it's kind of interesting. You're entirely negating Ace Lacey putting it together and becoming a part of the Cy Young contender. I I actually forget he exists, honestly. Yeah. Um, You know, I I think there's a world where like Mazzucato gains VLO and then, you know, obviously the ceiling's higher. Uh, He's, he's really good (laughs) with the the fastball. It's like 21, 22 inches of IVB. The curveball's a hammer, as we know. You could definitely make the case that Mazzucato has you know, a higher ceiling. You could even just pivot and say high ceiling righty now in the system. Uh, but I think when you throw 98 and you're 6'4 and you're a dual sport athlete, when it all clicks for a guy like that, I think it looks a little different than that, like, you know, lefty kind of finesse, not going to overpower yeah. you, but kind of almost fool you with stuff that's better than you'd expect. Uh, right. But th- that's kind of how I look at it. But then Hero Wyatt as well. 
another guy that some some people really, really, really liked and was underrated because he's from Staples, Connecticut. But he'll probably get the overslot, like you said, to to forego the the USC commitment. And I mean, he's he's got a good arm and, and a good slider, and he's been up to ninety seven. So you get two arms that are up to the the high nineties, athletic, big upside. And you still get a, a a guy that I think everybody viewed as the second best catcher in the draft if you wanted a catcher and the best high school catcher in the draft in Blake Mitchell. So I, I thought they took a pretty good approach, I guess, by using the savings on the catcher. Let's say the Royals wanted pitching in this draft. They couldn't get louder. He's off the board. They mm-hmm. Let's say they don't like Dolander, which D- Dolander, that, that'd be the worst thing that they could do because those types of pitchers just have not succeeded with them, even college guys. So instead you go with the catcher and then you get your pitching later, which is still, you know, you get some borderline first, second round. It's a closer to second round talent pitching with Walters and Wyatt. So I, I don't hate the approach at all. And, and I think it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. And I think with the new front office, I know everybody says, Oh yeah, well, are the Royals going to develop pitching or the Royals going to develop pitching? I think they're doing a better job now with these new guys. I, I think you've seen it with guys that have been in the system for a while making big strides this year when it comes to you know the, their development and the way that they've been throwing throughout the minor leagues. And, and I think that is something to say about the, the new, you know, I think the new regime here for the most part in, in Kansas city. For sure. You just made me throw up in my mouth a little bit, thinking about Dolander having to choose between the Royals and the Rockies. <laughs> what a shit situation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'd pick the Royals though. Yeah. I think I would too. Is there another team we want? Oh, the Giants. The Giants is, yeah. is the last one I wanted to hit on real quick. And then um, maybe just a couple housekeeping notes on things going on in the minor leagues. And then we'll we'll send you to your afternoon little matinee here as you have a ball game with the Indianapolis Indians. Let's go to the Giants who, you know, the Giants are going to approach the draft creatively every single time. Yeah. Of course, the Giants take the the two-way player in, mm-hmm. in Bryce Eldridge. But they also saved 330k in in doing so. Eldridge was viewed as more of a you know 20 to 25 pick range, and they take him 16, and they gave him 20 to 25 pick range money. But then they go get Walker Martin, and yep. Walker Martin, I think, was a little bit of a I don't know what the word is because I wouldn't say he was like divisive. There's nothing divisive about him, but I don't think he he got the love from some others that he would have got if he was from another state. I really think it's that simple. Colorado is such a bad baseball prospect state that yep. I do think that he just became somewhat overlooked. And those that got looks at him seemed to come away thinking that this guy was, you know, a a top 40 prospect in this draft, maybe even a top 30 prospect in this draft. Yeah. And he got $3 million at, at the 52nd pick. And, and the Giants didn't have a comp pick. You know, there's a long ways away picking from 16 to 52. They had the comp pick in the second round, but they didn't have a comp A pick. So, I mean, that's a big gap. And, and you got to kind of wait it out, wait it out, wait it out. So they get a no-brainer first-round talent in Eldridge, who, if it doesn't work out on at, at the plate, he's got a really good arm on the mound at 6'7", 223. But they also get a good high school shortstop in Walker Martin that has good tools across the board. And I think may have just been overlooked by the sole fact that he plays baseball where most people ski. Correct. Um, and no, he's I, older. I, and he's older, which is a big no-no in high school drafting. If you're 19, uh oh. 
Which is so stupid. I get the college junior versus high schooler if you want three more years with a guy, but like he's 19, he's a young 19 compared to an old 18. Like yeah. it's like not wanting to pay $40 for something, but $39.99 is acceptable. Yeah. What? It's because it's like, oh, he's an older guy beating up on high school competition is like how they look at it. He's a little bit more physically mature. Unless the guy's like about to be 20. Yeah. In this high school, you're like, I I don't care. Really. But the track record backs it kind of. I don't know if it's a coincidence. Like, it's weird. I I would assume coincidence. But again, like, I don't look at that shit all the time. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. I like how they finagled that. I also like that they... Got Joe Whitman for about 200K under slot. Honestly, maybe 300K under slot. Joe Whitman is a guy that I actually got a live look at and called his last start of the regular season. Left-hander out of Kent State, they took 69th overall in the, uh, what, two, in the compensatory second round. Is that the official wording for it? Compensatory second round? I think so. Comp B. I just always say comp B. But it's not comp B. It's not competitive balance. It's compensatory. Oh. Yeah. So, I don't know how I don't know how to word that, but well, it's compen- us- the, the abbreviation for compensatory is also comp. Ah, what else? <laughs> they so- took him 69th overall. Fuck. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, that's, that's what I always say. <laughs> but Joe Whitman, left-hander out of Kent State, he is really talented. This is a guy that can get up to the mid-90s, but he's going to sit low 90s, and everything is hard. Everything is sharp. I thought that this guy was arguably the best left-hander in the draft. The Marlins took who I think you thought was the best left-hander in the draft in Thomas White, but it was White and Whitman. And the fact that you went and grabbed arguably the best lefty in the draft at 69 is really impressive. The other name that jumps out to me is Maui Ohuna in the fourth round. Yeah, This was a guy that had fourth-round pedigree when he transferred to Tennessee. He was a Kansas guy. Or first round pedigree. Yeah, I was saying fourth round. Yeah, <laughs> I no, never no. heard of fourth round pedigree. Yeah. No, this was a guy with like 12th round pedigree for sure. Yeah, but it's like, like it's like a backwards compliment. <laughs> right. He he had first round pedigree when yeah. he was at Kansas. He transfers to Tennessee. He had some sort of weird eligibility thing going on. He got a late start and, and he just didn't perform the way that I think many were expecting him to perform, which was best shortstop in the country. Um, but they they got a guy that is super talented. So I really like what they did uh, with their first five picks. They also grab an Auburn shortstop and Cole Foster. Uh, yeah, I, I really like the way they approached it. Walker Martin also, by the way, like multi-sport athlete, good quarterback. There, there's if you're a good quarterback, you're going to be a big leaguer. Like that's yeah, just how that shit works. That, that was JT Real Muto, and they snagged him in the the eleventh round. The Marlins did as a shortstop, oh, and, and, and the hey, Dodgers just went and got DJ Uyunglele in the twentieth. Yeah, so. which by the way, like kind of a good pick. Think about it from this lens. He sucks at quarterback, so <laughs> like when when that flames out, he'll get the like he'll get the undrafted free agent opportunity, or he'll get drafted in the seventh round, and he'll he's going to be cu- a quake. I'll get cut from the practice squad. And then he's going to say, you know what? I'm just going to go play baseball. Like, why wouldn't I? He's been up to the mid nineties in high school. I I thought that was a good pick. I'm not going to lie. He's a freak athlete. You get in the 20th round, you get a big arm that you probably don't have to pay much signing bonus wise. I thought that was a great flyer. It's hilarious, but it's a good flyer in the 20th round. No, I can appreciate it. Like you're almost hoping he does the Pat White thing. Um, yes. Where it's like really good athlete. Chances are he's going to be a good low A. Here's the difference. Pat White was an exponentially better quarterback. Yes, fair. So, only draft bad team. quarterbacks who played baseball, and they'll eventually come. Um, yeah, but Uyangalo, 
it was funny. I I don't know if you've seen like the draft grade article that we have that's going to go out at the end of the week. I I formatted it and you know like I'll do you know they took X amount of pitchers, X amount of hitters, and one two way player. With the Dodgers, I said X amount of hitters, X amount of pitchers, one football player, <laughs> one quarterback. <laughs> yeah, so I love it. it. A couple quick promotion notes um, mm-hmm. to wrap up. We I just did an episode or the intro and then kicked it to our conversations with with Andy Rodriguez, Joey Cantillo talked about that CES, by the way, with the Reds homering in his first game. That was electric. What also on that pitch in a way going upper deck left side. What So people will realize. I think teams will realize you're not going to beat him that way. You got to bust him in or get him to chase off the plate. When they start busting him inside, I'm interested to see how he how he reacts. But it's, I mean, it's amazing when you can pull a pitch down and away like that to the upper deck, it shows you the kind of strength that Christian Encarnacion Strand has. Tyler Soderstrom and Zach Eloff promoted for the A's. The A's fun factor just got a lot better. It just jumped. You know, Geloff comes with a lot more whiff than than people may think on the surface. But you know what? He's I'd rather watch him than like Nick Allen or whoever else they're rolling out there. And then Soderstrom, the field of hit and power combination is elite. The only thing that's missing from him right now is the approach. And I guess you know, we can challenge him approach wise now in the big leagues is what they're thinking. The chase rate's the only thing that's hurting him. It's really that's really it. So if he can continue to cut down on the chase. I think Soderstrom can can blossom into one of the better young power hitters in the game. I really do. Uh, so exciting for the A's to to get these guys up and get those guys opportunity. If they struggle, that's fine. Uh, let, let those guys develop and they'll be ready to go for a full slate next year, kind of knowing what they need to work on. Yeah, no, 100%. I, I like that we get to watch Soderstrom on MLB TV every day. And like yeah. it is totally fun watching the Las Vegas Aviators play baseball, but it's more fun turning him on looking at the best pitchers on the planet. And, and I don't know. It, is he entirely ready? Probably not. Maybe not, but it's the Oakland A's. You're not playing for anything right now. So give him those big league looks so he can have a really good 2024 season. Other call up that I know we haven't really talked about is Quinn Priester. Mm-hmm. Priester looked really sharp in three innings, sputtered a little bit, made a mistake to a Rosario in the fourth, sputtered a little bit in the fifth, and then got his blow or his doors blown off in the sixth. And I, I thought that was an interesting managerial decision, leaving him in for that long in the sixth inning. Yeah. Um, but the first three innings of Quinn Priester, when eight of the first nine guys grounded out, holy hell, man. Yeah. Like no. he was looking like Quinn Priester. That's and that's that's how he's going to succeed. I, I do think that he could be one of those guys that third time through the lineup, he For might sure. want to have a short leash. That's fine. I, we're looking at Quinn Priester to be a five six inning quality start guy that gives you a mid threes, and I think he can exactly be that. And it was really cool to see him do it on that stage. I think that debut was a positive, no matter what. Even even with the doors getting blown off in the sixth, if I'm if I'm Quinn Priester. I'm coming away from that knowing, hey, I can pitch in the big leagues. I also can get shelled real quick like any human being on earth. Welcome to the big leagues. Anyone can get killed real quick. But you got to feel good knowing that, hey, man, I I was rolling through half this game and and I I can I belong, I guess would be the, the way to look at it there. Yes, 100 percent. The other thing that kind of jumps out and 
you know, I I was constantly monitoring the pitch mix for Priester because it has changed so drastically this year and back half of last year, where I know you had concerns about four-seam shape with Quinn Priester last year. Not really throwing a four-seamer anymore, man. It's, I know, it's I needed him to slide. scrap that. I love yeah, that. and and he did, and he's doing a good job with it. Um, Priester is now more of the Mitch Keller cut, where he is sinker, slider. He's got a good curveball. We know that. Um, you know, changeup needs a bit more separation. Like I would like if the changeup wasn't ninety one when the sinker's ninety two, ninety three. Yeah, but I've been around this guy for you know however many months before this call up this year, and I will tell you he works hard as shit. He's out there very early, yeah. um, and it's not just coach speak that I'm doing. He, he knows his stuff. He is smart as hell. And if you want your pitchers smart and curious, this is one of those guys. So I have full faith that he is going to be curious to the point where he gets better year after year. And you're going to see a massive curve uh, from Quinn Priester. That's that's the thing. He's one of those guys where it's like, I mean, he's got the talent to, to be a really solid starter at the big league level. But there's certain guys where you're just like, Oh, he'll find a way like worse comes to worse. That guy's figuring out a way to be a five in the big leagues for a long time. That's how I feel about him. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Like he's a guy that likes the grateful dead and space. Like he watches (laughs) space videos. Like I think those guys are going to be good pitchers. That's fair. That's fair. A couple quick promotion notes in the minor leagues. Blaze Jordan up to double A is interesting. Uh, Mm -hmm. Ben Kuderna gets the bump up to high A. That's also interesting. Ryan Bliss, I should say their teams, Ben Ben Kuderna with the Royals, Ryan Bliss with the D-backs, and Ivan Melendez. Bliss goes to AAA, Ivan Melendez goes to AA, and Christian Robinson goes to high A. What a a crazy story there. It's been really cool to see him perform pretty well after not playing in affiliated baseball for four years. Reggie Crawford up to high A as well. And there's probably several others that I'm missing, but those are just some of the, you know, just just most notable. Kobe Mayo got brought up to triple right right after the interview that we did, which was pretty cool, as well as Chase McDermott with the Orioles. Uh, so plenty of and, and of course, Jackson Merrill getting the Merrill bump to, up double. to double A as well. Really exciting there. Jackson uh, Holiday to double as well. That's hey, very Mizor- exciting. Mizorowski to double. Mizorowski to double. I love it. I, I, I like I, people might wonder why I think it's quick. Don't waste the bullets in the minors. We're going to do a whole episode on pitching prospects and kind of the state of pitching prospects uh, coming up later this week. So look out for that. That's going to be a fun conversation. We'll get a you know, very philosophical on that one, but that'll do it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it and we will be back to talk pitching prospects, get philosophical with you and a lot of other stuff later this week. Some fun interviews to look out for too. One more thing from Danny Vietti at CBS. Giant pitchers before Pat Bailey got called up a four, four staff ERA since Pat Bailey got called up a three, four, eight is best in baseball. Pat Bailey season folks. Hey, he's been unbelievable. He's exceeded every expectation I had. I'll tell you that it's been fun to see what he's doing over there in San Francisco. Until next time I'm Aram. He's Jack. We'll talk to you very soon.